So let me set up the story that we're going to be in the book of John, John chapter 6. But here's what's going on. Jesus had um, recently fed 5,000. If you grew up in church or Sunday school, you may have heard that story, you know, with the baskets and loaves and the fish. So over 5,000 people have participated in a miracle, and they are going crazy. They want to make Jesus the king. And, of course, all of Jesus' closest followers, the apostles, sometimes we call them the disciples, they wanted Jesus to proclaim himself king because if you're hanging out with the guy that becomes king, you become a pretty important person. So instead of Jesus allowing people to proclaim him the king of the Jews, instead he hops on a boat and heads out across the Sea of Galilee to escape the crowd that want to make him king. They end up in a little town called Capernaum, right on the edge of the, or on the coast of the Sea of Galilee. Some people who participated in the, the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 show up in Capernaum, word gets out, and they all start crowding into this synagogue, not all 5,000, but hundreds apparently of people crowd the synagogue where Jesus is teaching, and they begin to kind of goad Jesus a little bit. They begin to kind of shout out to Jesus saying, hey, do that thing again. Do that thing again. They're saying, hey, watch this. Watch this. Why You won't believe this. Hey, Jesus, show us a sign. And so they start trying to taunt Jesus and heckle Jesus into doing another miracle. And he recognizes that these are the, some, of the, some of the people that were there when he you know, fed them. So Jesus decides to use this as a creative teaching moment. And just as he fed them literal bread, he begins to use that analogy to say, hey, just like I fed you literal bread, but now you're hungry again? Did you know that God will provide something for your soul, for your spirit, for your heart that will fill you up forever? So he begins to compare himself to bread. And he says this, he says, I am the bread of life that comes from heaven. And somebody in the audience says, no, you're not. No, you're not. We know your, your daddy, Joseph, and your mama, Mary, you didn't come from heaven. We know your parents. And all of a sudden, there's a little, little tension in the crowd. He says, no, I came from heaven. No, you didn't. And you know, there's some strange stories surrounding your birth. But we know your parents. You did not come from heaven. We know your parents. You were born like a baby, just like the rest of us. And all of a sudden, there's a little tension in the crowd. And then Jesus continues, and his sermon gets weirder and weirder and weirder. And here's what he says. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood. At which point, the parents are ushering the children out of the room. It's like, what? What? Yeah, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. Jesus, I don't think that's how you get eternal life, right? And I will raise them up on the last day for my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. And then he goes on and on and it just gets stranger and stranger. And he's kind of saying, you know, just like there's real food, I'm food. And, and it goes, and the crowd is just like, there's murmuring like, that's just, that's sacrilegious. Now they're talking about cannibalism. I mean, this is, this is just weird, okay? And, 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 and so meanwhile, the apostles, the 12, they're sitting there watching this thinking, okay, don't lose the crowd, don't lose the crowd, okay? We're just days away from you saying, hey, I'm the king, and they already want to proclaim you king just south of here. Don't, don't lose the crowd. But John tells us this, on hearing this kind of strange sermon, many of his disciples, now, if you've been with us for a while, you know this, disciples, this is not the 12, disciples is this general group of people like us that followed Jesus. The apostles were the 12. So you got all these people that everywhere Jesus went, they followed him for the miracles, for the food, you know, for the excitement. So some of these people that have been following him for a while, all of a sudden, there's some murmuring. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is hard teaching. Who? can accept it, or who can embrace it, or who can go along with this, or who wants to be associated with this? 
And now the crowd's kind of turning on Jesus a little bit. And the 12 apostles, they recognize it. Now, if you were here last week, you remember that um, James and John, um, two of the ex-fishermen that started following Jesus, they wanted Jesus to proclaim them as like the left-hand and right-hand person when he becomes king. So they realized, okay, if we lose the crowd, they're not going to make him king. If he's not king, then we're not left and right, so things are bad. And so I would imagine this is, a, this is the point where they wanted to stand up and walk out and put their arm around Jesus and say, he will be right back with you in just a moment. Matthew, why don't you come out here and tell some tax collector jokes? Jesus, come over here. You know, we, we got to chat. Hey, look, look, you are losing the crowd. What's with this eat my flesh and drink my blood? Nobody understands that. Look, give them a parable. Nobody understands your parable, but they're interesting, you know? What about the one with the dad and the two sons? You tell that one again or do something on prayer or do one of your love things or, you know, that blessed are the peacemakers and the cheesemakers, whatever that one was. Why don't you just do that one again? But quit talking about eating my flesh and drinking my blood. Look, we're losing the crowd. And you know if we lose the crowd, you know who's right behind the crowd? The Pharisees. And you know they're gunning for you. And if they're gunning for you, they're gunning for us. We need the crowd because the crowd is the buffer between us and the people that want to take you out. So let's get back out there and let's, let's step it up a little bit. Now they didn't do any of that. That's what they were thinking. That's what you would have been thinking. That's what I would have been thinking. He goes on and on and on for several more verses. Look what happens. Aware that his disciples, that's kind of the group that you know, had been with him, Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? Does this, does this trip you up? Does this make you wonder? Does this make you want to wonder? Is this, is this too heavy? Is this too hard? Is this, is this too much? And then John tells us this, from this time, this is the transition point, this was a hinge in Jesus' ministry. From this time, many of his disciples, the crowd that went with him wherever, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and unfollowed him. Hit the unfollow button. Not following anymore. Love the miracles. Love the healing. Love the excitement. Love the thought that you might proclaim yourself king and we get rid of the Romans once and for all. But this, you came from heaven. You're the bread of life. Eat my blood. I mean, eat my flesh and drink my blood. I don't think we can go there. That's just too strange for us. We're done. We are un following Jesus. And the 12 apostles are sitting there listening to Jesus and watching the crowd. Listening to Jesus, watching the crowd. Listening to Jesus, watching the crowd. And they begin to think, as we discover in just a verse or two, they begin to think, hmm, maybe we should unfollow Jesus as well. Maybe I should stand like I'm stretching and maybe I should take a step back and take another step back and lean against a column here in the synagogue and then step behind the column and disappear because this is getting weird and as Jesus goes, I go and it doesn't look like things are going well for Jesus. Things may not go well for me. Maybe we should all disappear into the crowd together. And then Jesus... <laughs> who knows the hearts of men, pauses in his sermon, and he turns to the 12, and he says, you don't want to leave too, do you? you? You guys aren't thinking about going with the rest of these losers, are you? You're, you're not going to unfollow me as well, are you? You're not going to be an unfollower 
are you now? The 12 knew this. You don't lie to Jesus, okay? Not because it's a sin, but because he knows your hearts. I mean, he, he has just addressed what they were thinking. He knew they were thinking about leaving, right? And besides that, throughout Jesus' ministry, it's so fun, you should read the gospel. Somebody has a question, they raise their hand, and Jesus answers it. I didn't even ask the question yet. I know, I know the hearts of men. People will be murmuring, the Pharisees will be trying to come up with some tricky thing and Jesus would address it before they even said it. Just freak them out. So you, when you're sitting in front of Jesus, you don't lie because you know he knows your heart. So Jesus turns and he says, you're, you're not thinking of leaving too, are you? Now, this is such a relevant thing for you and for me, isn't it? Because regardless of how long you've been following Jesus, the day is gonna come. Now you think, oh, not me, but the day is gonna come when you're gonna consider unfollowing. And I'll tell you when those times are. It's gonna be during a time of transition from high school to college, from middle school to high school, from college to that first job, that job that took you from Cincinnati to Atlanta or from Atlanta you know, to, to New York or from New York to a town that you don't know anybody and you're in transition and suddenly you're surrounded by a bunch of people and you came from an environment where people took Christianity seriously and now you're in an environment where they don't care. They're not against it. They just don't care. Suddenly you're surrounded by people who don't believe what you believe. It's a time of transition and you're gonna be tempted to unfollow. You're not gonna, and this is important, you're not gonna be tempted to unfollow because you don't think it's true. Very few people quit following Jesus because they don't think it's true anymore. It happens, but it's rare. People quit following because it's too hard, because it's inconvenient, because it leaves me isolated, because I'm all alone. And the primary reason they quit following is because it just doesn't seem to matter here. When I was living at home with my parents and we all went to church, it seemed to matter. But now I'm a freshman in college and it just doesn't seem to matter. In my other community in the South, you know, everybody went to church and it seemed to matter. But now that I'm in the Northeast, now that I'm in the far Northwest, now I'm in an environment where very few people go to church, it just doesn't seem to matter. It's not just transitions though, it's it's relational because, you know, he is so cute, but he's not a Christian. And my Christianity's kind of getting in the way of the relationship, you know? And she is so, you know, she's just so, there's a lot of so, you know? <laughs> but she's not a Christian. And I figure it this way, you know, you, not everybody can be beautiful, but anybody can become a Christian, so we're just gonna, you know. Did I say that out loud? Yeah. You've been thinking it. And all of a sudden, you know what? You love her or you love him and it's like, okay, the Jesus thing keeps getting in the way and if I keep up with the Jesus thing, she's leaving or he's leaving and it's gonna cost me to follow Jesus and it's not like I discovered, ha the New Testament isn't reliable. It has nothing to do with that. It's just, it's just too difficult. It's just inconvenient. I think I'm gonna become an unfollower. Or you're just going through a tough time and you've prayed and prayed and prayed and God is answering your, answering your prayer. And you've always believed and you've always believed but now believing doesn't seem to work. In fact, it's just frustrating because God's so quiet. And you thought if you obeyed then things are supposed to work out and you've obeyed and things aren't working out and you're thinking, why am I even hanging on to this? Why am I even saying these silly prayers? I mean, God isn't faithful to me. Why would I be faithful to God? And you're tempted to unfollow <laughs> and it's like Jesus read your mind and your heart. Here you are in church today or you're watching online going, how did he know? And Jesus is looking at you going, you're not thinking about leaving too, are you? 
You know what, for, for me, the, the first real challenge in this area for me, strangely enough, and this is hard to believe, was after I graduated from college, I decided to go to graduate school, to seminary, to become a pastor. And my dad's a pastor, so, so I should have thought this through a little bit better, you know? And so I go to Dallas, Texas. I'd never even visited the school before. I thought, that's the school I want to go to. I want lots of Greek and lots of Hebrew and lots of theology. It was going to be really hard, but I didn't care. I wanted the, the full meal deal, you know? So I show up in Dallas, go to school, never been to school. Some friends of ours rented me a, an efficiency apartment. I'd never been there either. Do you know what an efficiency apartment is? It's where you can do everything all at the same time. You can brush your teeth and sleep and go to the bathroom, take a shower. You never have to move. It's just all right there, you know, around, you know. So, and it was a really nice area of town. You know, we, it was a gated community. Actually, it was gated so because if it wasn't gated when you came back, your stuff wouldn't be there, you know. First time I looked out bars, they were on my window. I could walk down the street to the car lot that said, we tote the note, you know. It was, it was awesome. So anyway, so I moved it out. I don't know anybody except my parents' friend, you know, who helped us get this apartment. And I'm in you know, on the campus, signing up and getting books and all that stuff. And I just was flooded with doubt. And I know this is, this is embarrassing, but here's what I was thinking. Andy, okay, it's one thing to be a Christian. You're, like to make it a, you're about to make it a profession. Are you sure you want to do this? I mean, you realize there's things you're never going to have. There's things you're never going to be able to drive. Are you, I mean, and the thing is, as I've said before, Christianity had served me well. Following Jesus, there are huge advantages. You will be a better person and you will have a better life if you follow Jesus. I mean, there are huge advantages. It had served me well, but now I was about to do something where I was gonna have to serve it and I started, I was flooded with doubt. And then, I, and I hate to admit this and I hope it doesn't leave the room, I started thinking, thinking, who's gonna marry me? Seriously, I mean, I have just so limited the options because whoever marries me is going to have to be a preacher's wife. Who wants to do that? And then we're going to have to have preacher's kids, and I am a preacher's kid, and that can be a problem. And I, I suddenly, all of this stuff, and I'm going to you know, spend my life talking about a God no one's ever seen, a book nobody reads. I just was plagued, so I got my books and signed up for class, and I didn't like anybody there. They all seemed like these real super academic types that just didn't get life at all. And then I go back to my little efficiency apartment in my dangerous part of town, and I'm sitting there on my, it was, uh, by the way, it was a furnished, furnished efficiency apartment, sitting on my oh-so-lovely mattress thinking, what have I done? I've just signed my life away. Am I sure? I mean, I'm all for following up to a point, but professional, Christian, I don't know. Now, you're gonna have a moment like that. You, some of you have already had them. Some of you are in it right now. You can't even believe I'm talking about this. Because at some point in following Jesus, I mean, come on, this, is, this should be encouraging. Peter, Andrew, James and John, Matthew, Bartholomew, all of them, all of these guys who were this close to Jesus had a moment where it was like, I think I'm going to unfollow now because it's too hard, it's too costly, I'm going to be too isolated. I could lose my life if I continue to follow. And so there's this, this pregnant pause. Do you guys want to leave as well? Can you imagine? And who's going to say anything? You're not going to lie. But what do you say? Yeah. And in this moment, this, this, this dramatic moment, Peter, who usually says the wrong thing, Peter says a brilliant thing. And he asks a question that honestly, I just wish I could just stick in your heart and your mind and your soul so deeply that next time you're in a transition and you're thinking, I don't know if I'm gonna follow Jesus through this transition. Next time you're overwhelmed with temptation, it's just too hard to say no. 
And next time things aren't going well and you're tempted to doubt and say, forget the Jesus thing, if you would just come back to this question, it is the most clarifying question. Here's what Peter says. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, (laughs) to whom shall we go? You don't want to go to. Well, yeah, I do want to go to. But Jesus, seriously, to whom shall we go? Peter recognized something most people never see until it's too late. That when you choose not to follow Jesus, you choose to follow something or someone else. So Jesus, so Peter asked the question, if not you, who? If not this, what? If not you, then who? If not this, then what? Peter recognized that if I back away from you, I'm inadvertently backing into someone or something else. If I choose to say no to you, I'm actually saying yes to something or someone else. And so I've just done a quick evaluation. I've considered all the options. And no, Jesus, this isn't comfortable. And yes, Jesus, I do want to go. And no, I'm not sure how it's going to turn out. And yes, I wish it wasn't the way it is. But the truth is, to whom shall I go? Now, this is the issue for you, and it's the issue for me. It's the issue for some of you right this very minute. Because it's hard to follow Jesus. It's inconvenient to follow Jesus. There's no payoff. Nobody's coming up and putting their arm around you and saying, you're a Christian and you're sticking up for what you believe and I just want you to know I respect that. Nobody's doing that. In fact, it's worse. They just ignore it altogether. It just seems to be completely irrelevant. And so there's something in you that wants to walk away and Peter would say, before you walk away, you need to consider the options. Because when you unfollow Jesus, you are choosing to follow something or someone else and you need to think about that before you simply walk away. To whom shall we go? And then listen to his thought process as he kind of talks about or thinks out loud the things that brought him to this conclusion. This is amazing. You have the words of eternal life. (laughs) Jesus, nobody else is offering that. Jesus, I remember when I was out there fishing with my dad, you know, and my friends, and you walked up, and you invited us into something grand, and you invited us into something glorious. Suddenly, our lives had more purpose than they'd ever had before. Suddenly, it wasn't just being a fisherman. Suddenly, I feel like I've been invited in some ways into the story of God. I've been invited into history. Where am I going to go? Fishing? Going to go back home, say, Dad, mind if I get back in the family business? And hey, Jesus, I know exactly what that looks like. I go home, I you know, reconnect with my family, I have a few kids, hopefully I'll live long enough to have a few grandkids, and then I die. And Jesus, you've given me an opportunity to live for something, and I would rather die for something than live for nothing. In fact, I'd rather follow you and die for you rather than just die. You have invited us into something so much bigger than what we were a part of. So yeah, this stinks. This isn't what we signed up for. I thought by now you would be the king. But leave? And follow who? To whom shall I? You, you have words of eternal life. Now, my friends, this, this is so relevant for you. It's so relevant for me. Listen, if you're a Jesus follower, do you re- realize you've been invited into something much more grand and glorious than your little insignificant life? And you go, I'm not little insignificant. Yes, you are. We all are. Right? We, we've covered that. I don't want to go back and cover that again. I mean, you're, you're, you're happening now, you know? But how long after you're gone? It's just 
I mean, come on, my glory is not worth living for? Your glory is not worth living for. As a Christian, as a Jesus follower, you have been invited into a grand and glorious narrative that began with creation and was highlighted when Jesus died for the sins of the world. And now you've been given the opportunity to follow the Savior of the world. Who are you going to follow if you're not going to follow him? What are you going to do if you don't do that? Do you really think there's anything so satisfying in life that you'd look back and say, I am so glad I quit following the savior of the world in order to fill in the blank? He's got such a hot car. Forget Jesus, have you seen her? Well, seen her for how long? Let's fast forward about 20 years, okay? Or 25, right? I mean, come on. He says, you have words of eternal life. You have been invited into something far bigger than you, far bigger than me. And when you unfollow Jesus, you step down. When you unfollow Jesus, you step out. And here's what Peter knew. And here's what I believe. And I think this is what most of us believe. That when you unfollow Jesus, the day will come when you wish you could come back to the moment you unfollow Jesus and change your mind. But you just don't get to do that. And it's as if Peter knew. In fact, listen to what he says next. He says, we have come to believe and to know with certainty that you are the Holy One of God. In other words, we've seen too much. Jesus, if we leave you now, we're going to be back in a week. If we leave you now, we're going to be back in a month. If we leave you now, even if we live to be old men, we will wish we could come back to this moment and choose differently. So why in the world would we choose not to follow you now. To whom shall we go? I love this question because I think for many of us, this question is the question that allows us to avoid a season in our life we wish we could go back and relive. This is the question that will allow you to avoid regret, unnecessary regret. This is the question that if we would just pause and ask it in the midst of that difficult transition, that tough temptation, those trials that just seem to want to take us out, to ask the question, okay, 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 if not Jesus, who? If not Christianity, what? Before you move, you owe it to yourself to answer that question. If not Jesus, who? If not Christianity, what? Anybody else offering you eternal life? Anybody else offer to invite you into a narrative that's bigger than your life? Are you going to be able to connect to anything else that has any eternal consequence? And isn't it true you've seen enough, you know enough, you've experienced enough to already know you're going to wish you could come back to this day and change that decision not to follow Jesus. So let's say this together. Ready? Let's say it out. Ready? Say it together. Ready? To whom shall I go? One more time. To whom shall I go? Even if you're watching all by yourself in your apartment or your house or with some friends, let's just say it together. Okay, ready? To whom shall I? That's the question. That's the question. Now here's the deal. Transition, temptation, and trouble, they always create questions. Always. That's okay. You know, you're sitting in class as a freshman, you've got a professor, and all of a sudden they're undermining your faith and undermining what you think about the Bible. Let me just tell you something about your professor, he or she. They're wonderful. Listen, ready? They are smarter than you, but they are not necessarily writer than you. They're smarter than you, but they are not necessarily wiser than you. 
And if you choose to unfollow Jesus because of something you hear in a lecture hall and you don't first consider who you're going to follow or what you're going to sign on to, you're making a foolish, foolish decision. It's always in times of transition and temptation and trouble that we have questioned, where's God? Why would God allow this to happen? Why didn't God come through for me? Why doesn't it seem to matter to everybody else? How come nobody else is suffering any kind of consequence? Does it really matter? There are always, always, always questions, and that's absolutely fine. But it is a mistake. It is a mistake to step away from Jesus simply because you have questions that you don't have. There are questions that you don't have answers to. This is so important. Listen, just because you don't have the answer doesn't mean there's not an answer. It just means you don't know it. Yet, Peter, hey, if you stick with Jesus, do you know what's going to happen? No, but I don't think it's going to be good. Well, isn't that reason enough to walk away? No. Well, Jesus, what's Peter? What's going to happen if you continue to follow Jesus and you lose the crowd? What's going to happen? I don't know. Well, isn't that reason enough to walk away? No. Well, you don't have an answer to that question. Yeah, but that doesn't mean there's not an answer to that question. But it looks like God has abandoned you, but that doesn't mean God has abandoned you. But it doesn't look like it's going to work out for you, but that doesn't mean it's not going to work out for you. Listen, don't forget this. Wherever there's, in every transition, there are questions. During every temptation, there are questions. And during trials, there are always questions. That's fine. Just don't walk away from Jesus simply because you don't have an answer to a question. That's why the question is so important. Because considering the options always brings clarity. It's a clarifying question. Okay, okay, okay. So if not Jesus, who? Well, I don't know. Then don't make a move until you know. If not Christianity, what? Well, I don't know. I haven't thought that far ahead. Well, then don't you make a move until you know what? To whom shall I go? To whom shall I go? To whom shall I go? And so all those years ago, sitting there on the edge of my little efficiency part bed thinking it through and feeling all this stuff and you know you've been there you will be there and I realized okay then Andy what are you going to do just walk away from this calling on your life just because you're afraid of how it's going to work out I mean yeah there are questions about what you're going to do yeah there's questions about all those things but but is that reason enough to unfollow Jesus and I'm telling you what I'm so grateful that I didn't. You will be so grateful if you don't because you've seen too much. You know too much. And there will be a season in your life when you would be willing to give just about anything to come back and choose to follow. For he has words of eternal life and you've believed and you've come to know that he is the Holy One of God. Here's the question. To whom shall I go? If not Jesus, who? Don't you make a move till you can answer that question. If not Christianity, what? Don't you make a move until you've answered that question. Because when you refuse or choose to unfollow Jesus, you are making a decision to follow something or someone else, and you owe it to yourself to know the answer to that question before you choose to unfollow. So, after you've considered all the questions, and there are always questions, then consider the options. 
after you've sorted through all the questions, if I do, I'm not sure what he'll do. If I do, I'm not sure what she'll do. You know, just sort through all the questions and then consider the options. To whom shall I go? For you have words of eternal life. And I've seen too much. I've believed. I've come to know that you're the Holy One of God. Salvation is free. It costs you nothing. Following Christ will cost you something. But refusing to follow Christ, it could cost you everything. To whom shall you go? To whom shall you go? To whom shall you go?